Previously on Unpacked. Um, I mean, if I walk into a bar dressed in drag, I will either get punched mm. or, you know, I will get the most hateful remarks. This word was used um, to break you down as a child. Their actions do not define who I am and my life. about the world of drag. Divas extraordinaires, I'm so excited for this conversation. Both of our guests will be chatting to us about their experiences and their stories. Let's unpack. In part two of our discussion on drag, we are joined by Her Royal Highness Jaja Whitney Gabor Houston, who is a trans activist and former Miss Black Pride and Miss Gay Queen of Queens, who believes that being in drag is not only about getting onto stage, but is also an artistry and a lifestyle. These are their stories. Let's continue to unpack. For this conversation, I did say that we have two guests. Our second guest joins us via video con. Jaja, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So you are not in drag currently. So how am I referring to you? Am I speaking to you as Jaja or as your birth name? Um, so Jaja is actually my name that I identify um, with because I'm a transgender woman. Yes. And so that is now the official name on my birth, well, on my ID, um, according to the Department of Home Affairs, because as a transgender woman, I've had, I've started my transitioning process. And so I'm no longer the dead name that was given to me um, at birth, um, but I am now the transsexual or the transgender woman that you see now. And I'm so glad you're explaining that. And I love the fact that your stories are mm. so different. So, Jaja, earlier on, you know, um, you know, I was asking Shanae, how do you identify? Um, and uh, Shanae spoke about um, her sexuality as Diart, <laughs> and I have to be very specific. <laughs> so we're speaking to Shanae, but we're re referring to Diart. Mm. So just to clarify, what are your pronouns so that we can make sure we get it correct? And also, um, <coughs> before you were Jaja officially, um, what, where did the drag fit into that picture for you? Mm. So my pronouns are she, her, hers, as well as her royal highness. Ooh. Because, <laughs> um, so when I'm in drag, I actually go by the full name, her royal highness, Dame Jaja Whitney Gaboy Houston. Mm. And that's when I'm on stage. That is my alter ego or my persona. Um, and so... Every day-to-day -day life for me is about Jaja Ariel Fisher. Mm. Um, and that is my name according to the Department of Home Affairs. But prior to that, I was assigned male at birth and the names given to me was William Ramon Andrew Fisher. And so, how, did, how did you like, choose the name Jaja? <clears throat> so I don't know if you know the socialite... Hungarian-American Zsa Gabor. Is that from and the reality so, show? Yes. Yeah, so, so, so Zsa Gabor, she lived to 99. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. I remember now. 
Yes. So, so Jaja Gabor was a socialite. She and her two sisters, and they basically made a name for themselves um, in the U.S. And so I've always idolized her, and I always found that when I was in drag, our persona, well, her, her life and my character was very similar. And I really love the name because the one thing I found for myself is, um, is that when I started my transitioning process or at least actually it's it started off with drag because drag actually allowed me to find my true calling or about my true self and my true being as a transgender woman but when I was looking for a name, I always said that you know a lot of people who transvision try to keep with the letters of the dead names that they were given. And so a lot of people say to me, well, your name was William, so why don't you make it Wilhelmina? And you could be Wilhelmina Slater or something like that. But I wanted a complete cut from the, the dead names. And so I went to the last letter of the alphabet and I just said, you know what? I love Zsa Gabor and, and so Zsa will be my preferred name as well as on stage. And so obviously because Whitney Houston has always been an idol of mine, hence I've added in the Whitney Houston part into my drag performance name. Thank you so much for actually sharing the part um of, you know, your transgender journey because we did have that episode previously on the show and um, there are just so many subjects to cover. And even though today we're speaking specifically about drag, it's important because it mm. does form such a big part of your story. So take us back to your beginning of your drag journey and at what point did it start to intertwine with your trans journey? So, without giving away my my age, because um, you never ask a girl was, her age, <laughs> you never do. You never do. Let's just leave it at twenty three. <laughs> and so, um, so I've I've always been in the performing arts. Um, I come from a performing arts background as well. Um, but I knew I was different. I just didn't know how well I fitted into this normative that was society. <clears throat> and, but I think I was like seven years old when I realized that I was sexually attracted to the same sex back then. Um, but I didn't know how to express myself because I'd never been around people who had the same feelings. I'd never been exposed to this kind of lifestyle and also coming from a very religious background, um, uh, you know, single parents upbringing. So it was always just about church and the Bible and sin, sin, sin. So obviously that fear was also installed into you in terms of not being able to do certain things outside of what the norm is according to society. But for me, it was just one of those things that I felt different. I knew I was different. And obviously back then I didn't know about transgenderism, but I knew that, okay, the closest thing that I had been made aware of or, you know, given knowledge on was the fact that there was lesbian and gay. So, and, so, so and, and that's so critical because so many people that are watching can probably reflect 
on the fact that the only thing they know about the LGBTIQ plus A community is um, gay and lesbian. They don't, they don't know Absolutely. or understand anything else. Even in the transgender community, you know, we've always been, or at least we still get categorized as gay, um, you know, simply because of the lack of knowledge and understanding of the LGBTQIA acronym and its true uh, meaning and what it stands for. Um, so that's so, so so that is where a lot of knowledge is still required, you know, in society um, for us. But with that, you know, from the age of seven years old, I found myself getting into my mom's clothes. I still used to fit into her heels back then. So I would get into her, her clothes, into her heels, and I would actually start performing out little skits for my siblings just to entertain them and, you know, made them laugh. And eventually that went to later me imitating people that I used to hang around with. I used to imitate teachers, the my grandmother. I used to imitate the church people and how they would always praise and worship in the church and especially the elderly people and how they you know, carry on in the church and are so somber. And so that's where I found all of this, you know, giving me some sort of strength and support. But as William, this person who still identified as gay till later on in my life, you know, I was still an introvert. And that was because of stigma and discrimination growing up. Um, growing up in a, you know, black community was a colored community where I grew up in, in Durban. Um, you know, there's that fear that it gets instilled. And obviously, you know, I was very effeminate. Um, even my walk is very feminine. So, you know, there's just some things that you cannot hide. And so because of that, I was always stigmatized, um, discriminated against. But I found a way out of how best I could come into contact with the true me. When I was in Standard 7, the now grade 9, um, is when I found this loophole basically for me when I decided that I needed to be free, I needed to be me. And though I could only be free and me at school and outside of the home, um, it still allowed me that little bit of freedom. Um, though I still identified as gay, but um, that opened lots of doors for me in terms of my freedom. Um, then I continued doing performing arts out of matric when I went to a dance school in Durban North and I did dance, drama, music. Um, so with that, that also gave me, it allowed me to be slightly more of an extrovert, but still very shy and still being William, um, you know, it, it, it still gave me that fear of how do I come out? How do I tell people how I feel? And, you know, growing up, I still realized that you keep saying that you're gay, but mm. you don't feel like you are completely gay because it just didn't make sense to me because I did not identify as a boy or as a man. Can I ask you something? I've... You say you say that um, 
you ident you were you were saying that you are gay. Was the feeling that yes, I've called myself this, but there's still something missing? Absolutely. Yes. And that's always been. It's it's like you in your heart and in your mind, you 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 feel that society only knows lesbian and gay, but internally, you know, in my heart and in my mind, I felt that I do not fit into this category of gay because I do not see myself as a man who is sexually attracted to another man. I see myself as a woman. I feel like a woman, and so that is when I had this internal struggle and this internal fight emotionally with myself because how do I speak to my family and express to them how I feel because I myself still was struggling with that and you know I always say that stigma and discrimination happens internally as well because you become so hateful towards yourself because of what society has done to you as an individual because of this societal or heteronormative lifestyle that you're supposed to live as a boy and become a man and mm. you know be a family man and patriarchy and support your family but none of that like stuck with me and none of that really gave me a hope except when i came to johannesburg in 2005 and i found this new found i don't want to say freedom it was more of a new journey and it opened my eyes to everything around me so jaja let's pick up then on um you know you you saying how you uh, how your drag journey sort of intertwined with your journey of finding your yourself and your trans journey now you were saying uh get into the part of your drag journey and how you actually formally got into it i was so it was the night before pride in johannesburg and Uh, a group of friends decided that we need to have a pre-pride party and so we decided we were going to go over to a friend's home and just have braai and chill and a few drinks and thereafter i said to them okay you know what maybe i should do a drag performance come in drag and just perform for you guys and they were like yeah that would be so nice to have some lovely entertainment and so with that we had this performance at the pre, as a, at the pre pride party of my friend's home and one of them just decided we have to go to this gay club in downtown johannesburg and at the, on that very same night is when they were actually hosting the miss black pride pageant mm. and so they were like oh no zaza you have to have to enter And so I was like no I don't do these things I only do it for entertainment and for my passion and you know and eventually I entered and I think I was second runner up for that pageant in that year and that's when it all started that's where this journey opened up more and the excitement and the adrenaline because I found my freedom and i found who i am though i still identified as gay but the next years in 2010 i then decided to enter miss black pride again and that's when i won miss black pride 2010 and one of the requirements as a 
pageant queen was that you needed to do drag performances as well at the club. And so I was very nervous at first, but with the performing arts background that I had, I'm a very meticulous person. And I always felt that, you know what, if you're going to do something, you've got to be a perfectionist about it, especially with drag. And when I met these other drag queens at this club, like Madame La Rochelle and Brooke Logan, these women were fierce and phenomenal. And that just instills a fear as to how best do you beat them? How best do you actually get or come to their level of their performances? But for me, I'd always believed that I'm an individual and I will always stick out like a sore thumb because that's who I believe I am. And I want to leave a mark as Jaja. And knowing that, it's, it's when I decided that their drag was more of a drag queen artistry and where I became a drag performer because my makeup was more subtle. It wasn't as exaggerated as Mm. the norm as RuPaul Drag Race. And with that, I also still kept the femininity of who I was as William at that time, you know, and so... As I performed and continued doing drag, I then came to realize that I was so much more comfortable in female clothes and in dresses and in heels. And that's when I did more research and I started working with health institutes in terms of what they do. And that's when I found out about transgenderism. And that's when my heart leapt for joy because I finally found where I belonged, you know. And so that is how Jaja became Jaja because um, I still love the name. I still wanted to keep it. I just have a different stage name when as an alter ego. But Jaja is who I am and drag will and will always be part of me as Jaja Ariel Fisher and as Her Royal Highness Dame Jaja Whitney Boy Houston because she's allowed me to be this confident individual that I never was. And as our guest Sinead also mentioned, you know, that that's that satirical part of when you are on stage, of saying things that you could never say as, you know, when you're off stage um, is where it boosts my confidence. And so I've become this transgender activist and human rights activist because of drag, because it's allowed me that freedom of expression. And it now has become part of my day-to-day life. I want to, um, and thank you for sharing that, I want to jump into the politics of drag. Is the term, and this is to the both of you, I'll start with you, Shanae, is the term cross-dressing derogatory? I think in the in the older society or in the older mindset, you know, we, we refer to people as cross-dressers or cross-dressing. Yes. Um, but that for me, in my personal stance, refers to someone who does that you know, not as a character yes. who does that as themselves, who feel like they want to wear female clothing, whether they are man. Yes. Um, they feel like they want to wear, uh, you know, female attire. Yes. Um, so 
I don't get offended um, if people refer to me as a cross-dresser. I do always correct them and say them that, you know, the correct term would be a drag artist or a drag queen. Um, But again, I feel like we're we're forever evolving and we're always educating society. We can't jump on our horse and, you know, become defensive about these things because people don't know. So we need to take it in our stride to educate and help society along as best we can. And I think you, you said it very well by saying it's usually somebody just doing it for their own personal reasons. Mm. It's not public um, because people can do it for sexual reasons, can do it for they just feel good doing it at home. It's a um, confidence booster for yes, them. We yes. never know what what somebody else, what their intention is because yes. they do it. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's their own prerog- uh, prerogative. Like yes. it's their own little utopia, if you yes. can put it that way. And we need to respect that. Jaja, from your side, um, what are your thoughts on the term cross-dresser? So cross-dressing is actually one of the umbrella terms within, well, underneath the transgender umbrella, basically. So um, I'm also I was a facilitator not even aware. and I... Mm. Yes. So I do a lot of training on stigma and discrimination, on the LGBTI and sexual orientation, gender identity, expressions and sexual characteristics. And if we look at the transgender umbrella, the the term cross-dressing actually falls within that umbrella. um, Cross-dresser, transgender, transsexual, transvestite. Stite, um, drag king, drag queen. So there's and there's many other terms that fall within the umbrella um, of transgenderism. I so it's not really a derogatory term. Oh yes, I got you. I got you. And I actually was not even aware of that. Like with you explaining it now, that it forms part of the umbrella. Mm-hmm. Whereas I probably got familiar with with a, a cross dresser, just somebody doing it for themselves. Before I got familiar with drag artists. Mm. So it's easy to confuse the Mm. two. But now you're saying it's under the umbrella. I'm like, okay, now it actually opens it up a bit more. Um, From from your side, do you feel like drag or even to include cross-dressing should be included in the community of the LGBTIQ+. And I ask this because many of the drag artists, of the many drag artists I've met who are men, dressing as women with their characters, very few were straight men. Mm. Um, drag is not, it's not bound to a gender. Yes. Like anybody can do it. Or um, a sexuality. Or a sexuality. Yes. Like it's, it's really open to anyone. The majority is obviously people of, uh, um, you know, queer identity or, or um, identification, if you can put yes. it that way, um, who do these type of things. But... There are people from hetero society who do practice, you know, yes. being a drag queen or a drag king, um, who do put on a pair of stockings and heels, mm-hmm. you know, for their partner when they're at home type things. It's not, it, it, I don't say, I don't want to bound it or bind it to, you know, being a queer art. Yes. It's really, it's open to anybody. Mm. Uh, Jaja, from your side, especially because this is part of the work that you do, what kind of discriminations do you see in the community where there's almost a gray area because a person doesn't have to say what their sexuality is, mm. but by virtue of the fact that now they are in drag, they can be included in the community. What are those discriminations and maybe politics that come about, um, especially when it comes to drag artists or those who choose to cross-dress? 
Oh, wow. So big question. <laughs> it's a very sensitive, but be, yeah. sensitive and very big because, you know, it's, it's as Shanae mentioned, you know, in the beginning is like the derogatory term that um, they use in, in Afrikaans as Mofi. Mm. Um, and, you know, and also being a person of color and going to gay clubs where there are majority black people, you know, you'd always come across the derogatory um, African term that was, you know, Stabani, mm. that was would be used on us. Um, I've... I've had that face to face, you know, and personal experience of ever of being stigmatized and discriminated. And strangely, um, majority of stigma also comes from within the LGBTQI community. Um, because there is this masculinism versus feminine, feminism within the LGBTQI. And so we are frowned upon as men who want to dress up as women, number one, and wanting to be feminine. And why do you want to dress up? And so these are the kinds of questions that always get asked, but not from a point of wanting the knowledge or wanting to understand us as drag artists and performers, but more from that point of a patriarchal, you know, way of saying you're a man, be a man. And that's basically what they say indirectly. So it's harsh and it's been very harsh, but and we, we, we've learned as drag artists and performers to actually just stick it out because we know that this is passion and we know what drives us to do it. I love you bringing up the masculinity versus femininity um, I was having a conversation with Tolang and Sugezi, um, and the, the, the conversations were around their transgender journeys. And I brought up the fact that there's pretty privilege. It's easy when you are beautiful for people to, to be more accepting of you. So, for example, if your drag appearance um, was less palatable to what society says is okay. Like, mm. I think many people accept RuPaul because she is mm, beautiful. Mm. Whereas if you don't have the resources to have the gorgeous wigs and all those things, then you might not look as palatable as society um, can accept you. What are your thoughts on that and the pretty privilege and, and the masculinity versus the femininity in the space? So pretty privilege, I, I do get, you know, yeah. that a lot of people don't necessarily have the resources that other people have, especially in, you know, I don't want to say poorer communities or yes. smaller communities, yes. let me rather say that, that as opposed to us queens who are in the city, you know, yes. who have all these resources. Um, but I also want to touch on, uh, on the, the, the femininity and the masculinity yeah. thing. Um, this is my character. So whenever I'm in my character, obviously I do more feminine gestures. Yes. When I'm out of it, yes, there's still an extent to yes. femininity there, but... I don't consider myself masculine. Yes. I don't want to conform to, you know, what society has, I don't want to say brainwashed us yes. to what it is to be a man. Like, I am just out there living my life the best way that I can and as authentically as I can. But with the pretty privilege, it's like, why? We, we shouldn't judge people on, you know, on what they have. Yes. Like people are making the best with what they what they got. Yes. You know, yes. and it is a, a process of evolution and growing. And we need to support them like when they're not their best. Yes. And by 
being there, a, a support structure and uplifting these other, you know, drag artists or whoever it is, you know, that want to pursue the art of drag. We all started somewhere. If I have to look back where I was 12 years ago, mm-hmm. mm, more or less the same way I'm now. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I love no. that you like, you know, I made a rant. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's been progress, but I mean... I, I will never forget where I come from. Yeah. Like, yeah. and for me, it's it's a steady foundation and a steady building going forward. And we need to support each other. Yeah. And I'm with you completely that we can't judge on prettiness because no. that, that goes across the board. It fades. The, the, uh, not just that, I'm aware of the concept of pretty privilege. Mm. There's certain things that might not have happened to me if I didn't look a certain way, be it, you know, skin mm. tone, be it my face. There's certain opportunities that might have been a lot harder for me to get because of that. So that does apply in the hetero space, but also in this space. But also with 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 this whole prettiness, we should hold society accountable because what is pretty? Yeah. What is pretty? We That's have been, true. we've been, you know, showcasing in magazines and on billboards and television and all these things like, what it is to be the ideal person. Yeah. Like, what is the perfect person? Yeah. What is that? Nobody yeah. really knows. We can only yeah. go on on what society has shown us. Yeah. But we need to... Pretty is different for everybody. Yeah. And we need to expect and respect that. Uh, accept and, and respect, respect that. that. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Zsa from your perspective, what has your journey taught you so far? Um, yours has been quite a layered one because you went from identifying as a gay man, to being transgender, to starting the transition, to the point that you've even changed your ID, something that many South Africans don't even know you are able to do. What have you learned up until this point, particularly about what society feels about the community as a whole? This is where my activism basically comes out, and I'm so passionate about it because, you know, the society frowns upon these things and this the sad reality is that our policy makers and our government doesn't give us the constitutional freedom that we all have as south africans because Though our constitution is so beautifully written, we as transgender people face so many challenges within the departments. And so, you know, I've just come to realize that we still have a very far way to get to the point of freedom for our LGBTQIA plus community, especially with the hate crimes that have happened in the past three months Mm. where we've literally lost nine people, you know, and so it's it's this is the sad reality of what we live through on a daily basis as LGBTQI community and as activists, we find the stories, you know, every day coming through our WhatsApps about people that have lost their lives to hate crimes. So we we have a far way to go in terms of acceptance and respecting the LGBTQI community and we I believe that this there needs to be so much more education and exposure about the LGBTQI community and what we are and whom we truly are, because only then will people truly understand us, accept us, and respect us, because we are not here to change anybody's lives. We just want to live our lives. And that's, and more especially within the transgender community, you'll find that 
so many transgender people live isolated lives, you know, and don't go out of the areas that they live in because of this fear of stigma and discrimination. And especially in our rural areas is where our black people are suffering the most because of this lack of education and understanding of transgenderism. So for me, there's still a long journey that we have to reach. And we always say that a luta continues, the struggle continues, but we will definitely get there one day. I really hope that these conversations normalize, destigmatize. It won't be a big deal anymore that we're on television speaking transgender. We won't have to keep explaining certain definitions or uh, we won't have to, you know, have to have that, that hetero view on life. It will be normalized. From your side, Sinead, I mean, we've already spoken about the fact that you've got your marginalized communities, which are poorer black communities, facing the issues related to culture, religion, and in particular to do with your sexuality. What, where do you see there's still a way to go as a gay man living in South Africa? Well, as you mentioned, all of the above. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but especially coming from, a, from an Afrikaans background, um, yeah. we are constantly being bombarded with religion, um, being bashed with religion, you know, yeah. constantly being told that what we're doing is a sin, the way that we're living our lives is a sin. And then at the end of the sermon, give us your money because we need it. Yes. Um, so we, we need to get to a place where, because the Bible also preaches, it says like, you know, love each other, or love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you yeah. love yourself, type thing. But um, there's still so much discrimination and hatred within the church yeah. and in religion that they're not practicing what they're preaching. Yes. And I think we still have a very, very long way to yes. go in that. Within the community, um, acceptance and respect. Yes. Um, yes. I think there's still a big divide within the community, especially accepting different gender identities and sexualities and allowing people to be and express who they are freely. Because yeah. um, how can we expect a heteronormative society to accept us and embrace us if we can't even do that within our own community? Yeah. So I think, you know, charity starts at home and we need to look, you know, to ourselves to make sure that we take on the responsibility on ourselves to create and see the world that we want to see in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And also at the end of the day, when, when you go home, you're, you're the only person in the mirror. Like, you need to be happy with what you see in the yeah. mirror. There's no one else that can do that for you. Yeah. So you need to be content with what you see in the mirror and be happy that knowing that you are making an effort in creating the future for, for future generations. Jaja, in closing on the concept of drag, do you still think we've got a long way to go? And what do you have to say to the viewers watching at home? So in terms of drag, we have, I think an extremely far way to go, um, solely also because I don't believe that we have been accepted as drag artists, number one, and also there hasn't been enough scope or exposure or platforms for drag artists. And with COVID around, um, you know, it's also minimized us, our performances and where to go. Um, but just in general, we, 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 we need to, we are losing a lot of drag artists because of stigma and discrimination, um, you know. So 
we need to perhaps get the performing arts or the arts and culture departments to strengthen the drag industry um, within our country, but more especially in Gauteng, because, you know, Gauteng had such a diverse drag artistry across you know, the province. And to think that it's fizzled down to just one or two gay clubs in the whole of Gauteng. And then it's also the battle of going into these clubs and being able to be yourself or go in as drag and not be stigmatized and mm. discriminated. So I believe that, you know, there's a long way to go, but given the exposure and the platforms to gain that and give that knowledge, um, I believe that we can get drag back to where it used to be in the 70s and 80s in our country. And it's a pity that we've run out of time because we didn't even touch on the surface of the pageantry space. So for those watching at home, there is a whole world, um, um, you know, in the drag space. It's not just performing in mm. gay clubs and singing and dancing. There is a pageantry space of which uh, you, Jaja, are a title holder. Three. Three-time title holder. There we go. <laughs> we'll put the details up on the screen that you can find. Thank you so much, Shanae, for joining our conversation. I would have loved for us to continue because I also feel like I need to come for lessons. There's so much we can learn <laughs> just in, in terms of creatives, mm. in terms of my artistry um, from the type of work that you do. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me and thank you for creating this platform of educating and putting our stories out there. Thank you. Jaja, thank you so much. I'm so sad you couldn't be with us in studio today, but I'm so glad you're able to join us via VideoCon. Yes, it's only a pleasure and thank you. Thank you for the platform and for exposing drag artistry in our country. I hope that those of you watching at home get to join in on the conversations, hashtag Unpacked with Rele Bukhile. And of course, our social details are there. Engage with us, full extended version up online on YouTube as soon as we get off air. I'm so excited about these kinds of conversations because I literally walk out having learned something new each and every time. And we continue to grow as a society, as individuals. So yeah, all about drag. Like I said, we didn't get to touch all of the topics. We will provide you with some of the resources so that you can get educated. More importantly, if you feel like, hey, this is something I want to do, you can find uh, those contacts and also make sure you follow and get in touch with our guests. Have a fantastic evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Next time on Unpacked. Some of the sex workers are being raped by the police officers mm -hmm. inside the cells. A sex worker being raped yes. and she just cannot yeah. even trust in a system to protect her. Why can't we just uh, arrest everyone, even our grannies that are mm -hmm. that we're supporting, even the kids, go and take my child at school and go and arrest the child. We're crying for our fellow sex workers that passed on. Unpacked with Rilebukhile Maboja. New episodes weekdays at 5.30pm on my YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe. Television edited broadcasts weekdays at 5pm. Open up to S3.